0: Making decisions in the dark can lead to some regrettable consequences. Who remembers ever getting dressed in the morning and then you get to work and you've got the wrong coloured socks on or different shoes, no one ever done that sort of thing before or your your shirt inside out or something like that. Uh, well, back in the days before electricity, there was a stingy and miserly old farmer uh, who was taking his hired farmhand to task for carrying a lighted lantern when he went to visit young ladies he was interested in courting or dating. The old farmer had it go at him and said, When I went dating, I never carried one of those things. I always went in the dark. Yes, the hide hand said wryly, and look what you got. <laughs> and An amusing story to orient us to the topic this morning, which is light. As we continue our series in 1 John, titled Love Illuminated, today's message is walk in light. When we speak of light, we know the opposite, of course, is darkness. And we are presented with two choices, walk in light or walk in darkness. And I trust that following this message, you will resoundingly choose to follow the instruction of John and walk in light. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, open them with me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 today, starting at verse 5. And uh, yeah... We'll get through the next few chapters today. So, if you've got your Bibles, open them up with me. 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We're going to go verse by verse today just to do something a bit different. So, little chunks, not big chunks today. Um, so the message that John heard from Jesus and now proclaims is this, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. What a relief there is in that simple truth. And this motive or figure of light that John uses highlights a couple of things for, for us. First, light illuminates It reveals. It makes plain for all to see. It removes the ability to hide. The light of God's holiness reveals. Secondly, it deals. The light of God's holiness deals with what the light of God's holiness reveals. But what is it that the light of God's holiness reveals and deals? Well, John calls it darkness. And that darkness is sin. God's light exposes and condemns sin. But this glorious picture of light emphasizes God's splendor and his glory, his truthfulness, his purity, his self-communicative nature, his empowering activity and his right to demand. You see, he is holy as light is pure. And I'm so glad that we can't comprehend everything about God how is he light i don't know exactly and i don't need to know do you know how light works well there's this there's something that einstein called photons tiny energy packets that travel and behave like a wave carry a fixed amount of energy and occupy no volume and have no mass this is what we've observed scientifically about light but how does it work no one knows it's we've only observed it's working we don't know how it works and isn't it great that god is so much bigger and infinitely greater than we can understand because if i could understand my god he's not much of a god worth worshiping is he He transcends our ability to grasp his existence in its entirety but he reveals so much that we can know and understand, at least some. The idea of light and dark, good and evil was common in both Jewish and Greek culture where John was firmly planted when he wrote this and so when John says that God is light, he's mainly pointing to the ethical nature of light the moral implications that our spiritual enlightenment bring to the revelation of the holiness of God. Just as light reveals and purifies, so by his very nature, God illuminates and purifies those who come to him. His nature determines the conditions for fellowship with him. Just as darkness has no place in God, So all that is of the darkness is excluded from having fellowship with God. So if you want to cultivate intimacy with God, that fellowship we've talked about from last week, the first step is to leave darkness behind. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 6. John's claim here is that that Christians who profess to have fellowship with him who is light but disobey him, walk in darkness, are lying. So a practising sinner cannot have close fellowship with a holy God, although we can have a relationship with God. God has revealed this truth about that through scripture. See, we do not need to re-establish our relationship with God every time we sin, though we do need to re-establish our fellowship with Him. Faith in Christ results in our becoming the children of God and attaining eternal life. Action though, specifically obedience, was a very important part of that true knowledge for John and it must be for us as well. We can't just know, we have to act upon our knowing. You see, there were some in the church who claimed that your actions bore no relevance once you came to a saving faith in Jesus. This was one of the heresies or one of the the false teachings that existed at the time that John was actually speaking against. See, once saved, sin no longer had any relevance for you, was their claim, and so whatever you did didn't matter. And you might come across similar um attitudes towards sin in other areas of our culture and in, in and even in other Christian belief. Um people who claim that, well, once I'm saved, it doesn't matter what I do because I'm saved. <laughs> right? That's the claim. H- have you heard that? Yep. Yeah. I'm saved, so it doesn't matter what I do. God loves me, it I'm forgiven. You know, and in one sense that's true, right? But the outcome of this erroneous belief was that people were acting immorally without regret or remorse they were not reflecting christ's glory in fact they were walking in darkness so this approach towards wrongdoing is not commensurate with god's brilliant character as revealed in his son walking in the darkness of unrepentant sin destroys our fellowship with god john wrote so that we who are christians reading his letter would enjoy fellowship with him and with god so unrepentant sin this darkness that damages our intimacy and fellowship with god because of our actions so if you believe that your sin has no bearing on your relationship with god then you lie to yourself no sin is without consequence. And then John writes the most beautiful three letter word in this context. He says, But. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. See, walking in the light means walking in the sphere that the light of God's will prescribes. You know, light here doesn't mean God himself, as it does in verse 5, but the sphere in which God lives and operates. The idea is more where we walk and how we walk. Had John said according to the light rather than in the light, he would have been requiring sinless perfection for fellowship with God. And I'm so glad he didn't use that word. I'm um, so he said, in the light, not according to the light. See, we must be open to and responsive to the light that we have, which increases as we grow in our knowledge of God's will. Brooke Westcott comments, How do we do this? If I enter a lighted room and walk around in it, I am walking in the light, I am moving in a sphere which the light illuminates as it shines not only on me but upon everything around me if i were to personalize the light i could also say that i was walking in the presence of the light since according to this passage god not only is light in verse 5 but he also is also in the light to walk in the light must mean essentially to live in god's presence exposed to what he has revealed about himself. This, of course, is done through openness in prayer and through openness to the word of God in which he is revealed. By contrast, to walk in darkness is to hide from God and to refuse to acknowledge what we know about him. Walking in the light is about being responsive to the light which God sheds into our hearts. It's an attitude of willingness to confess immediately every sin as soon as we realize it is sin. And that sort of confession brings us at once into moral agreement with God. To walk in light is to walk in fellowship with God, which has been bought by the blood of his son Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. You know, evangelist John Wesley, who lived in the 1700s, was returning home from a church service one night when he was robbed. The thief, however, found his victim to have only a little money and some Christian literature. As the robber, the bandit, as he was leaving, Wesley called out, stop, I have something more to give to you. The surprised robber paused. My friend, said Wesley, You may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The thief hurried away and Wesley prayed that his words might bear fruit. Well, years later, Wesley was greeting people after a Sunday service when he was approached by a stranger. What a surprise to learn that this visitor now a believer in christ and a successful businessman was the one who had robbed him years before i owe it all to you said the transformed man oh no my friend wesley exclaimed not to me but to the precious blood of christ that cleanses us from all sin god cleanses us cleanses us at conversion in the sense that he will never bring us into condemnation for our sins. However, we need continual cleansing from the defilement that sinful daily living brings because it hinders our fellowship with God. It is the power of Jesus' blood sacrifice, the pouring out of his blood in his death that cleanses us. And so our position... With God, will never change, but our fellowship may. The well-loved author Corrie ten Boom, in her autobiography, The Hiding Place, made a keen observation about the futility of rationalising our sins. She said, The blood of Jesus never cleansed an excuse. Although we are fully justified as Christians... We must honestly acknowledge wrongdoing for what it is sin against a holy god if we hide behind excuses we will neither sense his forgiveness nor gain the victory over evil habits so don't try and excuse your way out it doesn't work with god 1 john verse 8 John rams this point home. He says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We don't just lie, but we deceive ourselves if we say that we have no sin. But this admission of our sin is the healthiest foundation for the gospel. If we do not acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a saviour, then there is no reason in our minds for Jesus to die for us the blood sacrifice of jesus there's no reason in our minds to need the gospel if we do not acknowledge the reality that our sin causes our separation from god then we are deceived and would then see no need for the gospel that's why our admission of sin is the healthiest foundation for the gospel if you are aware of your sin and you know that your sin causes separation from God, it destroys your fellowship with him, then that is the right starting point. And from that starting point, listen to what John says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acknowledging the sins of which we are aware is opposite to saying that we are not guilty of sinning. Confessing means saying about our sins what God says about them. They are indeed sins, offences against Him, and not just mistakes, blunders, or errors. If we confess our sins, God will then forgive the sins that we confess and will, in addition, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we don't need to worry that, that He might have failed to forgive us of our sins, which we are unaware of. If sin incurs a debt to God, but forgiveness cancels the debt and dismisses the charge. Sin also pollutes the sinner, but God's cleansing removes the stain so that we can be holy again. God absolutely promises forgiveness that is consistent with his justice because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins the fact that God has removed the penalty for our sins at conversion doesn't remove the necessity of confessing our sins frequently. Again, the issue is not acceptance by God, but fellowship with God. Conversion forgiveness makes us acceptable as members of God's family. Continual forgiveness enables us to experience intimate fellowship as God's children within his family. Sin interrupts fellowship but cannot change a relationship. Prussian King Frederick the Great was once touring a Berlin prison. The prisoners fell on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence, except for one man who remained silent. Frederick called to him, Why are you here? Armed robbery, your majesty, was the reply. And are you guilty? Yes, indeed, your majesty. I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and ordered him, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine innocent people who occupy it. You know, James likewise urged us to confess our sins to others so that we may be healed, we may be restored. But I guess we might have a question about confession. Confession. Does it require turning away from sin? Does it require repentance? Well, since true confession involves saying the same thing about our sin that God does, it must include repentance. God not only said that sin is wrong, but he also said that we should turn from it. If we only label a particular act of sin as sin we're not really saying the same thing about sin that God says about it. We must be willing to say that we will turn from it if we want to say about our sin what God says about it. Here's an example for you about repentance and I want to make clear that I'm making this illustration up. But let's say that Andrew came to me a little bit, uh, you know, agitated, looking a little bit concerned. And I asked, what seems to be troubling you, Andrew? And he said, well, I've overdrawn my account. A polite way of saying that he's been stealing. So I gently asked Andrew, so have you been taking money from your employer? To which he said, yes, again, this is made up. (laughs) How much? I don't know, he says, I've never really kept track of it. Oh, well, would you say that over the last year, maybe you've stolen $10,000? Mm, yeah, I reckon I've stolen that much. If I then said, well, I don't believe in sudden work, how about you try not to steal more than $5,000 this year, <laughs> then $2,500 the next year, and then over the next course of the few years, you won't even be stealing anymore. If your employer catches you, well, tell them that you're being converted and you'll soon get to the point where you won't steal anymore. Is that how it works with sin? Is that what repentance is? No. The Bible says steal no more. It's an about face. Let us go to the Bible, see what it teaches, let us believe it, and go and act as people who believe it christian growth is gradual just as physical growth is but salvation is instantaneous we can be a thief one moment and a saint the next in his book i surrender patrick morley writes that the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add christ to our lives but not subtract sin it is a change in belief without a change in behavior he goes on to say it is revival without reformation without repentance charles hodge writes the sure test of the quality of any supposed change of heart will be found in its permanent effects by their fruits you shall know them is as applicable to the right method of judging ourselves as of judging others. Whatever, therefore, may have been our inward experience, whatever joy or sorrow we may have felt, unless we bring forth fruits meet for, for repentance, our experience will profit us nothing. Repentance is incomplete unless it leads to confession and restitution in cases of injury, unless it causes us to forsake not merely outward sins which others notice, but those which lie concealed in the heart, unless it makes us choose the service of God and live not for ourselves but for Him. There is no duty which is either more obvious in itself or more frequently asserted in the Word of God than that of repentance. True repentance never exists except in conjunction with faith. While on the other hand, wherever there is true faith, there is real repentance. The two are but different aspects of the same turning, a turning away from sin and in the direction of God. The two, they cannot be separated, they're simply complementary parts of the same process. Confessing our sins cannot be separated from repentance. But we need to place confession and repentance in their right context. Oswald Chambers does that well when he writes that it is not repentance that saves me. Repentance is the sign that I realize what God has done in Christ Jesus. The danger is to put the emphasis on the effect instead of on the cause. It is my obedience that puts me it, is it my obedience that puts me right with God? No. I am put right with God because prior to all else Christ died when i turn to god and by belief accept what god reveals instantly the stupendous atonement of jesus christ rushes me into a right relationship with god by the miracle of god's grace i stand justified not because of anything i have done but because of what jesus has done the salvation of god does not stand on human logic it stands on the sacrificial death of jesus Sinful men and women can be changed into new creatures by the marvellous work of God in Christ Jesus, which is prior to all experience. Isn't that amazing, the work of Christ for us? But John cautions us with another false claim in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar and his word is not in us. The false claim here is that the sin we have committed is not really sin. This is the third and most serious false claim in this passage. It puts God's revelation of sin aside and makes people the authority for what is and what is not sin. I know we've come across a fair few different voices trying to tell us what is not sin in our culture. There's more of those telling you what is permissible and what is not sin than what is truth. It sounds like the messaging we hear every day and at its core, it is idolatry. It is making ourselves God. It is taking his place as the arbiter of what is acceptable and what is sinful. The claim, this false claim says that God is wrong in his judgment of people and is therefore a liar and people that do dismiss his word as invalid. People that do that dismiss his word as invalid. You know, have you heard people who claim to be Christians, dismissing what God has called sinful as not sinful at all? What have they done? What does this verse say about such people? Well, first of all, they've committed idolatry because they've made themselves God. And second of all, the reason I think that the Bible seems more and more extreme over time is because our society is veering further and further away from God's values and His will. And it is not going well for our society, is it? We shouldn't be surprised, in fact, God has told us that this is the way things will go. There there are three false claims in this passage that we've looked at today. In verses 6, 8 and 10. And each is a denial of the truth that immediately comes before them in verses 5, 7 and 9. So the first truth that we saw today was God is light. Verse 5, God is light. The false claim is that we can have fellowship with God even though we walk in darkness. That seems ridiculous because in him there is no darkness at all so how can a god who is light have fellowship with darkness when there's no darkness in the light interesting you might remember a few things a little while ago i spoke on light and was talking about the essential qualities of light one is that it always overcomes darkness um the second truth is walking in the light is necessary for fellowship with god the false claim is that we are not guilty when we sin and the third truth is confession is necessary to restore fellowship with god and the false claim is that we have not sinned and that false claim is made by people who decide that they are going to decide what is sin and what is not rather than looking to god's word which has revealed to us what sin is and what sin is not. And that's why I believe there are a few passages more crucial and fundamental to daily Christian living than this one. It is here that John, with full authority as one who had seen, heard and touched Jesus himself, lays down for us the basic principles which underlie a vital walk with God matthew henry writes the christian religion is the religion of sinners the christian life is a life of continued repentance of continued continual faith in thankfulness for and love to the redeemer so how can we best live in thankfulness for and love to our redeemer well hopefully what you've seen from this passage today is that we do that best by walking in the light. This means first acknowledging that God is light and so we should choose light over darkness. Secondly, walk in fellowship with God by staying in the light. And third, confessing our sin, repenting of our sins, so we can restore our fellowship with God and remain in fellowship with Him. That's how we remain in the light. So let me end with this encouragement to you. Walk in light. Do whatever you need to do to maintain your position basking in God's glorious light. It all begins by acknowledging our sin. If you have sin you need to confess and repent of, that's a great place to start. Repenting and turning away from sin is the next, as that bears the fruit of salvation and restores our intimacy and fellowship with God. Sort of reminds me of, have you ever seen cats, not that I like cats, sunning themselves, and then the sun moves. What does the cat do? It moves where? Back into the light. You know, we might not recognize that as we've been basking God's light, we might not recognize that we've actually moved and this, the light sort of is no longer on us. So, what do we do? We move right god's light has not changed what has we have our sin has moved us from that light so what do we do we confess and repent and what happens then fellowship is restored and we're back in the light is that hard is that concept a hard one to grasp today (laughs) hopefully not now if you're from a catholic background then you've probably got this idea of having to go to a priest to confess your sins to a person right to then receive instructions on how to absolve your sin that is not found in scripture there is a health in confessing to other believers in the fact that there might be some accountability in relationship but help and support and checking up and that sort of thing like as discipleship but you have direct access to god you have direct access to our mediator jesus christ and so when you confess your sins to god and you repent of them to him they're done your fellowship is restored you don't need an intermediary step through another person but sometimes it's great to have support particularly if it's become a habitual sin that you're trying to break having that the help and support of a, a, a trusted close christian friend who you can confide in and say hey i'm actually really struggling in this area would you please pray for me and hold me accountable check in with me and say hey how have you been going because i want to know i want, i need to do that so that so that I know someone's going to check up on me. So I know someone's going to say to me, hey, how are you doing? And I have to give an answer. Sometimes that is what we need to help stay in the light. So I hope that this morning you've grasped the concept that fellowship with God is about staying in the light, about walking in light. And when we sin, that is darkness, to get back in the light, confess and repent. Very simple message for today. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed light, glorious light, and in you there is no darkness at all. And so, Lord, we want to confess our sins before you today and we repent of those sins. And, Lord, we want to walk in your light. And may that be something we do every single day every time we are aware of something that we've done has has become sinful lord may we repent of that and return to fellowship with you as we return to walking in your light may we not be deceived by believing that you are nothing but light may we not be deceived that sin carries no guilt May we not be deceived by anything that tells us what sin is and what sin is not other than your word. Lord, your word is truth. And so may we not create idols and believe false gods. but may we believe you only and walk in the truth of your light. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.